Well, it's happened, Jacob. I finally found a good Dean Koontz novel. I didn't think I ever would, but I did. Uh, is it that one that was made into the... Wait, what? The Phantom? Phantoms? Phantoms. the one with the... Yeah. No. I, I kind of like... Okay. I like that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I thought that was going to be the good one because they made a movie out of it. Um, I like the Phantoms movie. It's not a good movie. Once again, it might be one we eventually do. You know, I got to stop promising things, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it is something I, I'm, I have a fondness for it, but I cannot say it's objectively good. It's got an early young Ben Affleck and it's got Rose McGowan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. like the daughter. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. It came out of a book. I read the book. It's not very good. I have to be honest, folks. It's, it's not, I mean, it has a, a, a genius premise. A whole town gets eaten by a sludge monster, you know, and then people come in after the fact and don't know what the hell happened. That is great. I love that. But I don't know. The problem is that Dean Kunst is, I mean, I was really hard on Stephen King in earlier podcasts and I, you know, I have to apologize because, uh, Dean Kunst is worse. He's, <laughs> he's very bad with dialogue and, and characterization. He doesn't really know how to write people. Yeah. He strikes me as very self-centered because he loves to write about serial killers who are really full of themselves. Like that's some of his best writing is when he's just talking about how great he thinks these people are. Well, okay. Rather when they're thinking about themselves. Sure. So to that end, the one I read for him that was actually really good was uh, Intensity, which came out hmm. much later. It is about a serial killer who is very full of himself. <laughs> okay, well, the main character is a woman who's, she's visiting someone's house and, you know, she's like a survivor of horrors. Like her life has been really terrible. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a final girl situation where like she's visiting a very sweet friend and then a serial killer comes and just kills everybody. And then she goes... And you know, she hides from him and then she goes out and like tracks him down for revenge. It's a pretty sweet story, actually. Huh. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I recommend it, folks. I can check that one out. But I only that, that. One. <laughs> It's only good because he didn't write very much dialogue in it. It's mostly from the thoughts of the, the, of the woman main character and the serial killer dude. So, you know, it's like it limits it, it limits his weaknesses and it accentuates his strengths. Sure. He keeps up the pressure and there's no characterization to, you know, knock you out of it with how unrealistic someone is. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I've read a couple of his books and my general impression was that uh, I feel like he's the kind of guy who writes like horror stuff, but he's afraid of like having like a bad ending you know what i mean oh so yeah well he, yeah. He's, like, he's a people pleaser that's true yeah yeah he writes pulp stuff and i think he likes everything wrapped up with a neat little bow yeah that is particularly egregious in phantoms because yes. like i said earlier there's a sludge monster and it's this big intelligent timeless being and he has to write it to be so stupid to just let it die you know like well <laughs> you didn't need to do that you could just have it not die and in fact, that would have been better because you could have written future novels or at least just made people feel scared about the fact that this thing might exist. You know, you don't yeah. need to, you don't need to kill it right away, but no, the monster is just like, I love myself so much. I want, I want you guys to go into a lab, like research how best to kill me because there's 
there can't possibly be a way to do it. So go ahead, you know, waste your time. <laughs> it's an impossibly stupid thing for a monster to do. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Shame on you, Mr. Kunst. Oh, also, I read in his afterlog or whatever you want to call it, you know, at the end of the book, how much mm -hmm. he hated the fact that the book was a big success. He does not want to be considered a horror writer. And he was kind of stuck with it for years afterwards. Like, oh, woe is me. I was famous for the wrong thing. Boo-hoo. God. Okay. Yeah. You I got asshole. I, yeah. I got to say, like, as, as I get older, I get less and less uh, sympathetic to, uh, yeah. to that kind of plight. You know, it's like a, like a pretty girl being like, why does everyone like me for the wrong reasons? Like, shut up. <laughs> well, okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be, I mean, I, you know I, what I mean? Yeah. I like, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't go that far just cause enjoy like, your gifts, whatever they are in your life. But yeah. And I mean, especially when it's something that like you could just write other stuff. <laughs> well, he, yeah, I think he tried, <laughs> but then publishers wouldn't publish it. I mean, there was some reasons to be bitter. Well, sure. To the extent where he's, poisoning the goodwill in his own book at the end being like, yeah, this is stupid. I don't, I don't care for this at all. Uh, I mean, I've never read an afterward like that before. I was kind of shocked actually, where he's just like, I kind of wish I'd never written this book. That's, I mean, that's funny. I'll give him that. Yeah. I mean, he is actually a funny guy. Um, he talks in a very silly way when he's just writing about himself. He probably should have just done some of that, you know, just, just do some silly stuff. Mm-hmm. If only he was famous for being silly. Ah, jeez. Let me just play a little violin for you, Mr. Kunst. <laughs> well, okay, thank you for actually playing a little violin. Uh, um, yeah. So how are you doing today, Jacob? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I guess I didn't do too much in the way of like notable horror stuff recently. Oh, you know, I did uh, finally finish up that, uh, what is it, Sunburn? Yeah, yeah. Red book called uh, called Sunburn by uh, Darren Dash, who I've never heard of before. Well, I've never heard of that. What is it? It's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. Um, it's basically like a bunch of dipshit, not like teens, but like young adults go out like partying someplace in Europe. As you do. Yeah, they get really trashed and basically get like uh, left out in the middle of nowhere out in the sun and are just baked. Oh, God. That's not a terrible idea for a novel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that there's like also the element of uh, they're being stalked by a horrible monster. Oh. So it's really just more about, like, how much worse the situation is made by the fact that they are just a giant blister. Yeah. Uh, I mean, which there's is, a lot of uh, famous accounts of people being, like, shipwrecked, you know, where you're, like, you know, you're on just a plank of wood out in the open ocean, and you can't get out of the way of the sun, and so you yeah, just yeah. slowly roast away and are just, like, a wreck. Yeah. I like the idea of, like... Because you could write, obviously, like a horror story about either of those. So I like, I like it yeah. when two awful things happen uh, in in the story. 
that is a weird idea when you just kind of genre bend a little bit and you're just like, oh, well, this is a disaster movie, but then also vampires. Yeah. Or like, um, bringing it back to, to Lovecraft, um, the lurking fear did that where there were actually like two different monstrous threats, which I thought was, uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Although it makes you wonder if you could have finagled it so that they would have gotten into the same room and then they would just fight each other and you leave. <laughs> That's the thing about monsters. They can't tolerate each other either. Yeah, true. If Freddy versus Jason is any, you know, any point of reference, then yes, they, they'll just attack each other. Well, yeah, and then you can't have them team up because then that's like, that's like comedic. Oh, God. Oh, that actually reminds me of the the sequel to The Ring. Did you ever see, um, oh, was it Sadako versus Hanako or whatever the hell they're uh, called? Yes, I have. And yeah, I love that ending. That's oh, my great. God. Yeah. I'm just going to, yeah, we should just give away that ending because it's so dumb. I mean, they just, they somehow get combined and become like a super monster. Yeah. I, they, I don't know what, what they were thinking. It's like, let's kill both franchises. Like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you think of another horror crossover that's ever had, had the balls to do that? No, it's very, I mean, that's a very strange decision. So I'll give them that. <laughs> I, I mean, no, it would be like, yeah, it'd be like if like Freddy versus Jason ended with like Freddy and Jason doing the like Dragon Ball Z fusion dance. <laughs> yeah, basically. Speaking of strange decisions, welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is Gorman on Gore. Oh, yeah. We're a horror film podcast. We watch horror films from start to finish. We spoil everything. We go through every scene. And today, Jacob chose this one because it was his birthday. So I tolerated this decision. <laughs> Sorry, so... Whatever we were... We were going to do it anyway. Let everyone know what, what you chose. Jacob. Uh, I chose Tetsuo the Body Hammer, the sequel. Tetsuo 2. Well, well yeah. sometimes it is, yeah. Well, so yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's inconsistent, but whatever. It's the sequel to Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yeah, it is, and it is not a sequel. It's a spiritual sequel. Yes. Although in IMDb, it does actually wrongly say that it's a direct sequel, and it thinks that the businessman, because it's played by the same actor, is literally the same man. Yeah, which I It doesn't I, make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. It is funny to think that, though. Yeah, I was thinking of that afterwards. We're just like, because, you know, spoiler alert for the first Tetsuo, um, him and another man combined together, you know, just like the ring girl and the other girl. So yeah. at the end of the original Tetsuo, he combined with the metal fetishist, like a businessman and another guy who both have metal powers combined. Mm -hmm. And they're like, let's go ruin the world. And then they just drove off as like this weird monster metal float, parade float. Yeah. And it would be great, you know, because this movie starts with just him being a regular businessman again, like with a wife and kids. So it'd just be great if it felt like, you know, a couple of days later, he's like, wow, man, that was a crazy adventure. Anyway, back to my normal life. <laughs> it's a strange and terrible story. Maybe I'll tell you guys one day. Anyway, <laughs> what's for breakfast? I mean, yeah, I, you know, maybe they got bored. Nobody, yeah. you know, who can say? Maybe it was like a band and they broke up. They're just like, I don't want to be combined to you anymore. We have different priorities. <laughs> I just want to move on with my life. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Go back to being a salary man. All right. Just get out of here. <laughs> I'll cure you of my rust or whatever. 
I printed out all of the movies that the director did, Shinya Tsukamoto. I don't know if I needed to do that. Do I? Do you care? Well, I don't know. I feel like if someone found this podcast, it might be because they actually have an interest in this film and the director. So maybe, maybe you will get something from it. I uh... want. I should just read these out, and you can tell me if any of them have uh, interesting sounds to you. Uh, sure, go for it. Okay, so he started back in the seventies. He's been doing this forever. And it goes all the way up to 2018. So yeah, still not dead. Way to go, Shinya Tsukamoto. You did it. <laughs> you did it. Okay, so yeah, he um, the first film is Genshi-san. And then we have Story of a Giant Cockroach. And then we have Wings. This is back in 1975. Mm. 1976, we got Cloudy. And then 77, It Flew in Hell. <laughs> Great and title. 78, New Wings. So maybe that's like a, a sequel, you know? Mm-hmm. It flies even more in hell. The legend of flying in hell. All right, 79. <laughs> flying Lotus Flower. Sounds nice. Yeah. 86, we got uh, Phantom of Regular Size, which we mentioned on the previous podcast. Yeah. Uh, also another great title. Yes. Just a regular a regular, normal, medium-sized phantom. Yeah. When you're choosing them on, like, the drive-thru or whatever. Just regular size, please. You mean a venti? Wait, is venti the middle one? I don't even remember. I, things. I don't they, drink coffee. Well, I mean, it's too late. You already said it. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's on the books. You know what? Mock me if you wish. I don't care. It's all made up anyway. It's not like it's from, like, a language or something. Anyway. I, I do know it's from a language. Don't worry about it. All right. So the adventures of electric rod boy is an 87. <laughs> that one something. looked pretty good. It's kind of a spiritual successor to Tetsuo, the iron man. I mean, a lot of his movies are, well, that's the thing. He reuses <laughs> props a lot and he's just yeah. like, listen, I already have all this weird crap. So, uh, yeah, let's just make more of this. And, um, and yeah, speaking of 1989, Tetsuo, the iron man. You know, that was his big claim to fame. And then, uh, and then he made a bunch more things. So in 91, we got Hiroko the Goblin. I kind of want to see that one. Yeah, it's just a goblin. And we got 92, uh, today's film, Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. And then we got a lot of stuff that sounds like it could be made by any number of directors because it's got that real kind of pulpy Japanese feel. Yeah. Tokyo Fist, <laughs> uh, Bullet Ballet, Gemini. A Snake of June, Vital, Haze, Female. Just, yeah. So in 2005, he made a movie called Female. I, I have no idea what that could be about. Wouldn't it be great if there was no females in it? No, but it's about women. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, 2006, <laughs> Nightmare Detective. 2008, uh, Nightmare Detective 2. It must be a franchise. Well, and then one would assume. Yeah. 2010, we got Tetsuo, uh, the bullet man. So I guess that's the third one. Yeah. 2011, Kotoko. 2014, fires on the plane. And then 2018, killing. Hmm. So that's his, that's his filmography, ladies and gents. I'm glad he was able to do things. I, I couldn't say that before. And I wanted to bring that up, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I was... I'm just going to like full disclosure, admit that 
I was not looking forward to doing this movie because of how much I didn't enjoy the first movie. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but it's hard to watch, or at least for me, cold, because I didn't understand the context. Sure. So I actually went out of my way and I watched a documentary about Tsukamoto. It's called Tsukamoto the Iron Man. It's made by some guy called uh, Zetai Japan on YouTube. Go look it up, I guess. It's a little half hour thing. And it mm -hmm. just talks about Tsukamoto and what his life was like. And I feel so bad for the man. Knowing how he was raised, it makes perfect sense that this is the way he makes movies. So he, <laughs> he had the worst father, like the most abusive Japanese father, not physical abuse, but mental and emotional abuse. Tsukamoto was super artistic his whole life. And his father would approach him while he was drawing something and he would just say that drawing is worthless and he would just walk away. Like he would try to string together something really hurtful in as few words as possible. He would just go devastate his son and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, he, he's one of those overbearing dads. He wants everyone to be the best at whatever it is they do. So he also had a second son and that son was into sports and his mm -hmm. dad, you know, so the overbearing nature in a way helped him. You know, they actually interviewed his, you know, the older brother. And he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it helped me to be the best. Every time I joined a sport, I worked as hard as I could to be the best. And I was. So I assume that <laughs> Sukamoto kind of was, you know, because he had an artistic temperament, he had to endure possibly unbearable emotional assaults, you know, for just being himself. Mm-hmm. And it makes perfect sense that all of his movies, or at least these early ones, would be like this, like, cathartic explosion, like, coming literally out of your body, just like, ah! you know, like, like he had to force it out. Yeah. And also that he had the willpower to make these, these scummy, dirty old movies and succeed. You know, he actually made them exist, despite how horrible it sounded like it was on set for the original Tetsuo the Iron Man. <laughs> where eventually the entire crew left and it was just down to him and uh, that Tomaro guy. What was his name? Tomaro Taguchi, who's kind of a cult actor in Japan. Mm -hmm. It was just the two of them at the end, just hashing it out. Oh yeah. Also of note, he started in commercials. I guess that must be a thing with artistic Japanese men because it was same with that guy who wrote and directed Haosu. Yes. Where... <laughs> It's like they have to do a respectable job selling something and then it allows them some opportunity to try to do something else. Yeah. And uh, also before Tsukamoto, I was afraid I said his name wrong. Before he did Tetsuo and, and all of these films, he did Kabuki theater with this metal stuff. That's why the, the, uh, the costumes in Tetsuo, the Iron Man are so good. Mm -hmm. It's because a lot of them are literally props he had built him and others to do live performances. So they had to be reusable and practical. And I think that's part of why they have such a classic look. In retrospect, I have a higher opinion of the film than when I first watched it and even first rated it the first time on this podcast. I, I don't know. I might give it a, <laughs> a slightly higher rating in retrospect. So I don't know. We'll sure. See. Yeah. We'll see. I'm, I'm sorry, Shinya Tsukamoto. You're a fine man. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm glad you've come around because I... Mostly. Well, sure. It's still a hard movie to watch because of how condensed it is. He went out of his way to cut out all of the 
the flab and the fat. And you need a little bit of fat on your bones just so that your bones aren't like grinding together. That's what that movie feels like to me a little bit, like grinding bones. Yeah. <laughs> just all these like super intense, unrelenting scenes one after another. It is really good though. So, I mean, I should say that. And the special effects are amazing, despite the fact that they had like no money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a stunning achievement. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I think that's maybe a good summary. I respect Tetsuo. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it exists. Um, do you want to, you want to guess the tagline before I tell um, you what it is? You know, I, I looked that up earlier, but, uh, no, yeah, go, go ahead. I, uh, I got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> Tokyo is seized with rage. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good tagline for this. I actually kind of like that because it almost gives like a strong philosophical overlaying to this film that we're about to we're about to get into. And also with just Tsukamoto in general. Like I was saying, you know, he's this man and he's got these like repressed artistic feelings that he has to get out. Mm-hmm. He's going to like spread that rage onto everyone. I mean, that's, that's what I loved about the ending of the first Tetsuo. We're just like, what was it? They said at the end, our love could fuck up the whole world. Yeah. Something something, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's something, something to that, ex- <laughs> to that extent. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's him all over. I suffer and therefore you all must suffer. Yeah. I well, actually, like, that's also something I really liked about that effect where they would just do the, um, the still shot thing where like they wouldn't move their feet, but they would pose, reshoot, pose, reshoot, pose, reshoot to, uh, yeah. Give the feeling of intense movement. Cause it's like, it's the Gumby glide where you, yeah, like, yes, puts up yeah, a yeah, leg yeah, yeah. and just glides along like at high speeds. Yeah. A more dramatic version of that. It's like the movie was too angry for its budget. <laughs> yes. That is something that comes up in a lot of these movies. We'll get into it, but yeah, about how he, he is slightly beyond his means at all times. He's more ambitious than he's able to do. Yeah. But I do love the enthusiasm. All right. So I actually do have the, the trailer. ah, God damn it. I'm going to just push a button. I hope this is the trailer. So let's find out folks. Okay. Granted it's in Japanese and it explains nothing. I should have turn the volume up. Actually, if, yeah, if you want to pull up the, the Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer trailer, you can just like watch it for yourself because uh, I have to try to explain what the hell is going on. Okay, so, so once again, we have Businessman, and he's... He's got his son kidnapped, and they show it in the trailer briefly. Contorting on a bike. (laughs) Men working out in a sweaty warehouse that looks like it's from like a gay music video or something. Um, I mean, it could be. Straight it could be too. straight. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. I feel like this is like covering stuff that I think we should. Yeah. Maybe hold off on. Yes. 
We'll get to it. Yeah. But yeah, lots of dudes working out. I got the more real I feel like this must have been cut together by Tsukamoto, and it's like he doesn't understand how trailers work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've noticed that the Japanese trailers tend to be a little bit different. Like, especially with, like, just straight-up showing stuff they probably shouldn't. Major plot points and, and, <laughs> and big events happening. Yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, more shirtless dudes working out. What's that? Alright, it's, it's nearly over. <laughs> Tetsuo 2, Electric Boogaloo. Okay, I, I will say, I love the, uh... The bit where the uh, each letter just kind of like slams up. Yeah, it was lost kind in of the place. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I was hoping that when they when they finished with the two, they would just keep going with the subtitle like T H E B O D Y. Never, it never ends. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't terribly helpful as a in a in a listening context whatever that's yeah. the trailer folks i don't have control over this blame sukamoto it reminds me of those old trailers from like the 1970s where they just will tell you the entire story and how it ends you know they're like here's the whole thing everybody <laughs> if you'd like to see yeah, it fleshed out in more detail come watch the concept of spoilers is like a, a fairly recent phenomenon yeah well, it's like, uh, if you look at some really old books, they'll have, like, super descriptive titles that, like, explain basically the whole plot. He dies at the end. No, 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 no. shoot. What was the, um, there's, like, a, there's a good one. The, um, the guy who, who's, like, trapped on an island. It's, like, a real famous one. Uh, Robinson Crusoe? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, like, the actual, like, full... I love that it's super specific. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one second. Uh, I actually have a I have an edition of it right over here. I'm gonna go get it. Yeah. What's the What's the first title? Ah. Yeah. All right. Um. Proofs in the pudding, Jake. I'm gonna go take a look. Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. Uh. Oh, here we go. The Life and Strange Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of Pork and <laughs> Warner, who, li who lived eight and 20 years all alone in an uninhabited island on the coast of America near the mouth of the Great River of Quinroque, having been cast on shore by shipwreck, wherein all the men petrified but himself, with an account of how he was lost as strangely delivered by pirates. Written by himself. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> That, that's that's just the book. 
Wow, that, that is spot on, Jacob. Yeah, that gives away the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, and there are like, I mean, there are like other examples, but I think that one's always like, the, that's like the funniest one. Dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, there was an alternate tagline. I want to say, say that now because this one. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Destruction is all I need. Oh, that's pretty good. I like yeah, that. I like both of those. Those are pretty intense. Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, to hell with everyone. That reminds me of the original uh, title of the the light novel that um, the Tom Cruise movie uh, was it Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow was based yeah, on. Whichever. The Japanese title was just called All You Need Is Kill. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you've mentioned that before. That's oh, have I? One. Yeah, that's no, it's really good. I love it. All you need is kill. <laughs> they shouldn't have changed it. it. It was perfect like it was. It was perfect. Yeah. All right. So would you recommend this film, Jacob, generally speaking? Uh, well, okay. Generally speaking, uh, speaking, no. I think a lot of people would probably be uh, turned off by, let's say, how wacky the movie can be. Yeah. <laughs> uh but uh, no i think it's good it's got a it's got its audience um i actually think i would recommend it a, huh. a light recommendation this one probably isn't as meaningful as the first film you know just tends mm-hmm. to the iron man but i think people might like it a bit better for it i feel like this is filmed in a more digestible way oh sure it's yeah it, i don't know i feel it's it's more um fun and palatable mm-hmm. Despite how yeah. unpleasant, actually, it is a deeply unpleasant subject matter that they get into, but oh, they yeah. do it in a fun action sci-fi way. I mean, I almost don't know if I would call it a horror film. It's probably just dark enough that it is one, but it's almost yeah. more just like action sci-fi. Like it's, it, it reminds me almost of something like The Matrix rather than a horror film. Yeah, I well, I was I was thinking about that actually, and there there was a point at which, uh, at which I was writing my notes, and I'm like, God, I don't know if I can. We should even do this. I don't know if this even <laughs> like this even counts. But uh, I I will say, it is thoroughly a body horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I, I think it counts. That being said, I don't know if we can finish the trilogy because. The third one is even more actiony. Oh, okay. So, like, I, that one just like is not horror. Well, there's enough badness. We'll get into it, but yeah, there's enough badness <laughs> that happens that I think that this one still qualifies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's different requirements for a horror film, and one of one of them is just that some real bad stuff has to happen. And also, yeah. I tend to think that anything that has a, a strong fixation on uh, dysfunction is very horror-ish to me. Because I, I tend to think that horror is an examination of dysfunction, you know, and, and, and learning to deal with trauma. I mean, well, a lot of conflict in, in a lot of stories is like that, but horror does an especially good job of fixating on it. Yeah. I, I would actually even say that's why some of um, Stephen King's less horror, like obviously horror-driven stories still count in my mind. Uh, like what? Like Misery? Like, Stand By Me has, like, elements that feel very horror to me, despite it not being explicitly horror. Well, it's called The Body when it was a story, Jacob. Well, the movie's called Stand By Me. 
Okay, yeah, but people only watch the movie. That's true. Yeah, no one, nobody reads that. <laughs> I mean, that's sad, but that's actually true. I've never read it, so I, yeah, I, I can't even, I can't even get on the high horse to get <laughs> off of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, any other thoughts before we get into the movie, Jacob? No, let's let's do it. Then, without further ado, let's thunder our heart hammers and re-enter the world of Tetsuo. Well, maybe I should play the music a little bit. That's the terrifying tank game. Anyway. <laughs> As I mentioned before, IMDb says that this is a direct sequel. I, I think whoever wrote that is just an idiot, but it's, it's fun to think of it in that sense. Because both yeah, of them, it, it, they star with the same man. Although he's married to a different woman this time. I don't know. Maybe the first one was a girlfriend, whatever. But, you know, this seems like a totally different story. Totally unconnected. I don't know. I I feel like the guy was just confused when he wrote that. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get into it. Okay. So first scene, first things first, we open on a wobbly shot of a drunken man shambling down the street at night. I thought this was going to be an important character, but uh, spoiler alert, uh, he dies like in several seconds. Yeah. You know, it's really weird for the first half of this movie. There's a lot of these strange, wobbly handheld shots. And then the movie just drops it after a while. You know, there's all these strange uh, shifting Dutch angles and pans and zooms and things. And then it just kind of stops like the seasickness just kind of goes away. I'm not sure why that is, but it is interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like there's a particular point where it's like a hard defining cut from that stuff, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Yeah. So we got this wobbly shot of a drunken guy. He's in, I don't know where he is. It's like a subway or something. And somebody off screen points a finger gun at him mm-hmm. and uh, rude, you know, doing that to a stranger. <laughs> yeah. So the guy, you know, the, the businessman, this is not the main character businessman. This is another guy in a suit. He points back and he's like, Hey, don't you point at me you know, or whatever. And then the, the finger shoots, It shoots him for real and he dies right then and there. So that's an interesting start. The shooter is a strange man with an X on his chest, which I love. I feel like that's just an identifier. It's like he assumes that people aren't going to pay attention to his movie. And so they're like, listen, we need to, we need to know for sure that this is the same guy. So I'm going to literally put an X on his chest so that when they see him later, they'll know it's me. Well, okay. So there's an interesting thing about that. I'm pretty sure, like, especially in light of what you said earlier about uh, the, the director's brother, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's a, uh, a track outfit. Oh, okay. And yeah. yeah, also, that is the director who just killed the man with a finger gun. Mm-hmm. It's Tsukamoto. He's got a follower with him who is just looking at his arm, which is like now smoking and steaming from having shot someone. And the guy reaches out like reverently to touch his arm. And then the killer guy with the X on his chest, Tsukamoto, he grabs the other man's arm and just places it on his heart just so he can hear the thundering jackhammer of his rage. It's pretty great. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think it's like, it's like a weird intimidation move. Be like, it's not just my arm. That's all screwy. I'm all messed up, man. (laughs) 
I'm just saying, I, I love the, like, yeah, just the, like, thumping, like, metal of his heart. Yeah. There's something weirdly upsetting about the idea of a, of just a furiously pumping metal heart. Yes. Later in the movie, they actually show it. This weird fake heart that he has. Or well, maybe the, it's armor plated? I don't know. No, they show it, like, right after. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. So, cue the title card. The letters, as we mentioned before, they kind of, like... <laughs> They spin and like, it's like they're being ratcheted into place with a machine. So it's like, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's Tetsuo too. Doesn't say body hammer in that. I wonder if Tsukamoto couldn't afford to get the letters to go that far. (laughs) No, you can. Tetsuo too, that's enough. No, you can't do the whole thing like that. Then then it becomes a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, what if he did that and like it was also the credits and it just goes on and on. <laughs> it's like that old Simpsons episode with like McGruff the dog where like all the yeah. words are coming out of his mouth with each bark. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Oh, old Simpsons, man. Watch anything for, like in the first nine or ten seasons. You know, that's my recommendation. You oh, don't yeah. need the rest. This title card sequence, it reminds me of something that would be in like Terminator or something. It has a very action sci-fi feel to it. It's just like, yeah, we're doing this. And there's a lot of that. It has a very masculine feel. Maybe this is some kind of weird stereotype, but there's so much warehouses and foundries and junkyards and like sweaty Asian men lifting weights. And like uh, the weird warm red light. Yeah. It feels like some weird hellish sex dream or something. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Yeah. I Okay. Yeah. I, I wouldn't call the movie overtly homoerotic, but while watching this, I did wonder how did they get so many huge, just completely jacked bald Japanese men for this? No, I don't. Let, let me be clear, everybody. I don't think this is a, a gay movie. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to make fun of, you know, of homoerotic things. I actually think this is more like an invitation. Listen, if, if that's the way you swing, you might enjoy this. You know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think that was necessarily what the director intended, but that is the consequence of how it was done. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, as Seinfeld used to say. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's weird because there's a strange color palette shift early on in the movie. There's a lot of blues and grays. It has a very cold businessy modern look to it. It's very, I feel like I see a lot of that in early two thousands, like in the matrix, it's more sort of a, a gray kind of lifeless color tone for the early parts of the film, you know, before uh, Neo wakes up, Hmm. it's a little like that. I was going to say this might be like completely just not something anyone's going to recognize, but like it feels like some of these early scenes are like shot. Like uh, if you've ever watched one of those like Japanese, like city pop music videos, I guess we're usually like, I guess this would be like the time period for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Like what is it? The the plastic love or whatever is the one that like constantly shows up on YouTube recommendations. They're all kind of shot like that. And I, I I mean, it looks nice. I just, I was just looking at it and I was like, 
almost feels very pop video, and I don't, I don't know why. The first scene that is filmed in this way we are describing, we have businessman Tomu. That's how I'm going to choose to say his name. It's spelled T-O-M-O-O. It's also confusing because one of the real-life people in the movie is also named Tamu. I wish the director would not do things like that. <laughs> how many Gregs can you have in a movie where like the main character is also named Greg? You know what I mean? Like, stop it. Yeah. I did want to point out before we get... Well, I mean, keep going. I, I have something sure. to point okay, out. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, we're, we're only getting into the second scene now. So yeah, so businessman yeah. Tamu, however you, how you say his name, that's how I'm going to say it. He wakes up in his sleek, very 90s looking bed with his wife and child sleeping with him, which I guess denotes that they're close. They just, you know, they like to sleep in the same bed. It's like an enormous bed. It looks too big for even all three of them, which is kind mm -hmm. of interesting. And then he wakes up and has a good cry about, I don't remember exactly what it is. It's like he, he says something about not being able to remember the first eight years of his life. And I'm sure nothing will come of that in the story. I'm sure that's <laughs> just a random plot point that they brought up for no reason. Yeah. A little factoid about his life. You know, fun little, you know, thing about his character. Okay, so scene two, the family eats at a big black table from big black bowls and big black plates. It's hard to describe, but their dining room has a sleek, polished black look. It reminds me of two things. It reminds me of the inside of the house that Julia Louis-Dreyfus is living in, in Christmas Vacation. Like that real sleek, upper scale 80s, like uh, jerk off look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it kind of looks a little bit like Lydia Dietz's house. Mrs. Dietz, I can't remember her name. You know, she was that weird artist in like the, whenever that was, early 90s. You know, where she was like a flake who just put all this weird stuff around her house. It looks like it could have been designed by Tim Burton. There's a weird austerity to it. I love it. It looks great. You know, also, it's just nice to see that Tsukamoto spent money on something. As opposed to in Tetsuo the Iron Man, where it was all just done in just the filthiest apartments. <laughs> just squalid and full of like cats and garbage. Yeah. So good on you, Sukumoto. You did it. I, I I did want to point out, uh, did you see what they were eating for breakfast? I did not. Okay, because it is some of the most deranged shit I've seen, or at least combination wise. So we've got salad, sunny side up egg, croissants. Mm -hmm. Kiwi, looks like cheese cubes, uh, just ham in like a little area off on the corner. I don't know what that would even go on. And then uh, what it appears to just be uh, cloves of garlic. Just, uh, <laughs> all right. I, yes. So you can taste that all day long while you're doing I, your business. Oh, boy. I don't. I'm willing to be proven wrong on that last part, but I'm looking at it and it is all that makes sense to me is that just full on garlic. One of the things that is maybe it might be troubling to some people is that Sukumoto is not a, he is not a personable director. He doesn't care <laughs> about the characters. He doesn't. So you, you have to take these little brief 
flashes where this feels generous of him where he shows anything about these characters because in the original <laughs> movies, there was nothing at all. So just the fact that he bothers to do anything is nice. He's just like, look, they're eating food. I mean, maybe not as normal humans would, but at least it's done. <laughs> yeah. But you can tell though, that he's frustrated with the scenes. That's part of why there are all these crazy angles and like handheld stuff where he'll like drift away from people as they're talking and eating and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, listen, I'll have this scene, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to fixate on it. I'm going to drift around. Like I've got ADHD and just look at whatever. That's also funny because I feel like a lot of directors have the uh, opposite problem. Yeah. Like a lot of fat and not enough going on. I mean, yeah, he's almost the opposite. He's like super lean yeah. to the point of anorexia. <laughs> yeah. You get a lot of, a lot of the weird Dutch angles and strange zooms and just drifting shots. It's not very disorienting. Like a lot of shaky cam is in, in latter day films because it's fairly smooth. Mm-hmm. So it seems more like an artistic choice. And also because these scenes are inherently a little dull, I sort of appreciated it anyway. Yeah, why not? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it does feel more like, because usually I, the, I feel like the intent of shaky cam is to show, you know, it, it's like you're there yeah. looking at it. And these feel more like that, like the intent of shaky cam. It's like you're a two-year-old that's just lolling your head around. Yeah. 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 Okay. So scene next. Um, Well, I said the next day, but I don't know if it's the same day or the next day. It doesn't matter. Anyway, later on, the family is going somewhere up an escalator. I mean, it's, it seems to be some sort of a mall. Either that or like an airport, some place with a huge ass escalator. Yeah. I got the impression it was a mall. Is it, is it racist to ask if Japan has malls? I, I don't know. Hey, what? Are you kidding me? Do they not? I don't know. No, they do. Okay, sure. Why? I'll believe you. Would I would have believed either why would they, yes or no. You would have believed... Hold on, you don't get to walk away from that. You would have <laughs> believed... You would have... Peter, you would have believed... That Japan didn't have malls. Well, I wonder if, if it's like a weird social convention that we have. I don't, I mean, you know, I just don't know if it's, if it's a given with all human life, <laughs> you know, to well, arrange things in that dumb indoor way. So I don't know. I mean, it's pretty common. I China, ha- China has malls. Yeah. Boy, does China have malls. <laughs> all right. Apologies to everyone. To the whole universe. Well, right. I'm, just, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so so two strange thugs, very tall men. They're called Big Skinhead and Little Skinhead in the credits, I think. There's like a greater skinhead and a lesser. <laughs> I, I like that better. Yeah. Anyway, they, they accost the husband and wife and child. They push them over. They grab Tomu's son. His son's name is Minori. And then they also just casually inject him with like a, a crazy sci-fi metal injector gun. I He's like, ha you have AIDS now. Goodbye. I love that prop so much. Yeah. I would love to own that weird little gun that injects <laughs> them with, with metalness. I mean, yeah. we haven't gotten there yet, but yeah, that's kind of what it does. Yeah. 
I can't be sure because I'd, I'd have to like go back and examine it, but it looks like it's partly made out of like trombone parts. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be something weird like that because all of this stuff has a very homemade look, but not in a bad way. I mean, it seems more almost like authentic to the truth of the story being told, you know, like that's <laughs> just the way they would have thrown it together because it's kind of a prototype as we mm -hmm. later find out. So the husband and wife give chase across the city. They, they make their way up some stairwells and they get to a skyscraper's roof. Tomu gets up there first and he spots his son's, uh, I don't know why I'm tripping over this. Tomu spots his son's shoes sitting on a rooftop edge, which denotes a suicide attempt in Japanese culture. I mean, right. I feel like that's a very specifically Japanese thing where like you politely lay your shoes aside before you jump off of something. That's probably true, but I feel like my assumption would be if I saw shoes placed next to a uh, the ledge of a uh, building, I would just assume either way, you know. Yeah, I just I don't know. I've been trying to think about what the what the significance is. Is it like when you take off your shoes to enter a house, or is it because you want to let people know that you've jumped? You know, when they go to the roof to be like, oh, well, there was someone here, but now they're gone. Um. I mean, I think in this case, it's a little bit less, it's more straightforward than that. Because, yeah, I just I don't mean, know. I'm thinking of myself as a corpse, would I prefer to have my shoes on or not? I think I would. I, I'm more of a die with your boots on kind of a guy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I guess, like, it would also be fun to die in such a way as you're, like, you're, you're the guy who, like, you know, your, like, shoes go flying. Oh yeah. Well, if it's, if it's not by your hand, that's incredible. Yeah. When you get like knocked out of your shoes by an explosion or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. And they're like smoking a little bit when people find them. <laughs> yeah. That I can get on, you know, I'll get with that. Yeah. But no, anyway, uh, Tomu thinks that his son did that. I don't know why he would think that or someone placed his shoes, but no, it's a fake out. The two thugs emerge carrying his son. And I love how bored the son is. He doesn't look scared. And he just like <laughs> waves to his dad. He's just like, hey, being kidnapped, whatever. Because Tomu goes to the edge of the roof. He looks at his, his son's shoes. And then these two skinheads come up. One's holding his son, like in his arms. And then they push Tomu off the side and like step on his fingers and try to make him fall. I guess you find out later that they're trying to get a rise out of him or something, but mm -hmm. it seems like they're, they're trying real hard to kill him. Yeah. Which is weird. They've injected him with, with a thing and then they're like, whatever, we'll just drop him off a roof. But maybe they just want to push things to an extreme and are just playing with him, I suppose. Yeah. It does really feel like he was about ready to die. Well, they do stop because I, I even wrote it. I wrote it strangely because they just stop and they walk away and then the wife yeah. comes over and, and pulls him up and I'm like, why did they stop? And I guess it's because they chose to, but you know, they push it pretty far before they give up. <laughs> so maybe they were given yeah. instructions to be like, Hey, listen, you need to really frighten this guy and then just let him go. But you know, they'd probably feel bad if he actually fell. Like, oh crap. <laughs> or at least we find out later, you know, because this is all part of a grand scheme. A scheme that doesn't make sense. Well, okay, it kind of does, but... I, I think it does. Tomu 
you know, the husband, he keeps getting these angry flashes, cutting to a weird shot of light and wires flying around when he's upset, which is pretty cool. I do like these weird little internal emotion explosions, you know, that are filmed. Yeah. So he gets pulled up by his wife and then we get some stress hallucinations of Tomu and, and gouts of flame. And it's weird. Tomu is blue, like in a blue room and he's sweating and he's got these anguished looks on his face. And then there's just like these weird superimposed images of flames like boiling up. And to me, it just made me feel it, it really had a strong, like commercial for antacids vibe, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's a it. flame building inside you. Yeah. Put it out with Tums. Tums did not sponsor this podcast, by the way. That's funny. Cause yeah, I guess I like, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, that is exactly what that's like. Just a sweaty grimacing Japanese man in flames. Yeah. Then we transition to Tomu in some kind of new age swimming pool gym area. I guess the idea is that, you know, he was so upset by the near taking of his son that he's going to go try to get in shape, but he's a big old wimp and he can't move the lifting machine right away. And his wife has to almost like embarrass him a little bit. Like, hey, don't worry about it. It's only after he thinks about the kidnapping attempt that he gets his dander up. He gets angry enough that he wants to, to do something about it. And he's able to find the strength within him some kind of rage adrenaline to do any strength thing he wants to do. He's able to lift all of the things. So back at home in their creepy cement wall department, Tomu's wife ominously hums Ave Maria. And, you know, I've watched enough movies to know that anytime anyone does that, that's just bad news. Yeah. Don't like to hear that. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> Someone calls Tomu on the phone and asks him about how his training is going. I thought it would have been great if he had just been like, oh, it's going great. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, who is this? <laughs> but then the voice says, you shouldn't have left the door unlocked or the front door unlocked, something like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, sure enough, he runs out into the living room and his son, Tomu, uh, Tomu, Tomu's son, Minori, is kidnapped again. Yeah, I think this is the point when the sun just waves in the man's arms like everything is cool. Yes. This yeah. kid is weird. Hey, Dad, they're taking me away. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. This kid seems cool in a weird way. I don't know like how he can be this chill. He's like a sloth, you know? He's just like, just real serene and slow moving. Mm -hmm. All right, so... Tomu chases the kidnapper back up to the roof, like the same stupid roof. <laughs> the kidnapper beats up Tomu pretty badly and casually tries to toss him off the roof again. He's real bad at this. Yeah, no, he uh, is. I mean, whatever. He, you know, he's just a salary man. <laughs> this isn't his life beating up skinheads. So Tomu manages to scramble back up and then the kidnapper claims he tossed the boy Minori off the roof. This time he's holding the, the boy's shoes in his hands. Like, yeah, I killed him for real this time. And so Tomu is enraged. His teeth get all bloody and his body starts to transform. He transforms his arm into a gun or, or like a cannon and goes to fire at the kidnapper. But the boy Minori is not dead. And the kidnapper holds up his son 
like a human shield, and Tomu absolutely disintegrates his own son. He's hey, just annihilated. Blown the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He completely destroys the son, bones and all, but the man, you know, like right behind him is totally fine. Well, I mean, he is covered in child guts. He is, yes. He is drenched in boy guts, <laughs> and he is still holding the little fat little boy arms in his hands <laughs> where, like, I guess it didn't get shot. <laughs> yeah. It is like, yeah, I've never in my life, I never thought I would see an image like that. <laughs> that was, that was haunting. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> good way to characterize it, Jacob. I Well, okay, I, I'll say this. Partly because that actor has a, a very expressive face and unique look to him. I like that guy a lot. <laughs> I like it when he's, when he's holding boy guts. He's just a very intense looking dude. Yeah. He has a good laugh at the expense yeah. of the death of a boy. Just having the time of his life over there. I mean, ah, I'm made you kill your son. <laughs> Got you. I'm, I'm laughing. So, you know. Yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, I know I've been a bit of a, I don't know, a, a bit of a Pollyanna on some of these earlier <laughs> podcasts, but yeah, for whatever reason, this one hits differently, maybe because of how absurd it is. It is really horrible, undeniably so, but somehow I'm just like, eh, I, all right. I mean, like, it, was blown apart. it really cannot be emphasized enough how little of that child there is left. There's very little. So the, the kidnapper, he gives a hearty laugh and then he runs away. <laughs> Tomu's wife is, he looks over and she's just standing right there. She saw the whole thing. She saw the whole thing, Jacob. How embarrassing. Yeah, really. Then we are shown stop motion wires encircling and impaling Tamu. We get a lot of these interspersed little montages for emotional turmoil. Yeah. It's a thing he does. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. He did just murder his own son. That's, that's some big, that's some big juju. Yeah. So, you know, they go home to mourn, but uh, enough about that. Let's go look at a hellish foundry full of filthy men shouting and lifting weights. Yes. This is where we need to be right now. Hell yeah. It almost looks like a really rockin' dance studio. <laughs> I just wanted there to be like some music in the background, like some old 90s house, you know? Rhythm is a dancer. Good vibrations. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The two kidnappers walk in and drop off the injector gun thing with a a mad scientist. I guess that's what this guy is. Uh also this guy, he's like my favorite character in this whole movie. I'm just gonna tell you right now. <laughs> he's pretty great. He's like this pudgy little Japanese man, and I don't know who they got for this, but he is just so happy to be in this movie, and it shows in every single scene. <laughs> he's just bubbling with joy. Oh, he, okay. I mean, his name is Turaumon Urazawa, and he, he was credited as Mad Scientist. So, yeah, that's actually what he is. Hmm. He asks who they chose. The lead kidnapper says he chose someone mild to avoid accidents. I mean... Maybe a 
good good way to put that. It seems weird. I guess they wanted a control or something, but you find out later that it's a gigantic, it's a huge coincidence that they chose this guy. So I thought it was on purpose. In fact, the movie makes a lot more sense if it was, but maybe they didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the, the guy in charge of the whole operation told them to go to this guy and they thought he was nice, but yeah, this, this guy's got some weird stuff going on. That was my impression. The scientist is not entirely in on the full thing. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then the kidnappers, they immediately go back out and kidnap Tomu again. They, they knock him <laughs> unconscious and bring him to the metal foundry. I think they use like knockout chloroform or something. Yeah. They strap him into a crazy chair and place a headset on him that can read his thoughts. You know, like you do. People uh, forget how much of a pain in the ass it was to uh, put on one of those virtual boys. Yeah, it is quite a process <laughs> in this movie and also in real life. And I love that the scientist is so casual about it. I mean, this guy, you find out later, he's very greedy. And I was just thinking like, well, if you want to make a lot of money, why not just sell the mind reading headset you have? That's pretty cool. People would love that. <laughs> Yeah, It doesn't just send thoughts, it also receives them, because he's able to mess with it later. Yeah, that's right, he does say that. So yeah, he's watching his thoughts on the monitor, and then he claims he can manipulate Tomu's thoughts. You know, he starts with like a peaceful memory, and he's like, well, look what happens when I upset him a lot. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just crazy, man. And then off to the side, you know, watching the whole thing is the real big boss. A man in a, a science fiction bathtub quietly watching the scientists work. <laughs> we later find out this is the movie's villain, Yatsu, played once again by the director, Shinya Tsukamoto. Tomu has a vision of walking through a field towards his son, but every time he steps forward, his son is somehow even further away. I don't know about you, but I've had dreams like that. You know, there's that thing where you can't reach something you need to, and it just keeps getting out of your reach. Mm-hmm. And then as he's chasing after his son, his legs contort and get full of metal and stuff. It kind of makes him look like a satyr a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It, very Torgo. <laughs> Torgo from Manos, Hands of Fate. Yeah. Finally, finally, he finds himself on the roof where his son died. And there once again is the kidnapper. Tomu screams in rage and contorts in his chair from having seen this vision of the man who killed his son and uh, a hole bursts open in his chest. And, uh, uh, Hmm. How do I describe this? Uh, a horrible, bloody phallic looking cannon emerges just like a horrible, like gun worm. Yeah. I think that that's about describes it. It's, it's a lot like the chest burster from like aliens. It's, yeah. It's got that kind of horrible grotesqueness about it. A, a very upsetting looking gun. Yes. And he also regrows his arm gun, but he's still strapped to the chair or a table or whatever it is. And he also can't see. So he just fires wildly, just like all over the lab from both his arm and the chest gun. It's just <laughs> shooting everywhere. So the scientist turns off the bad images and Tomu returns to a normal human appearance. You know, I guess it's, it's nice to prove something like that, that you can actually control someone's emotions and make them hulk out. It's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. So the scientist requests Tomo be destroyed 
probably good to hide the evidence. You know, if you're, if you're a Dr. Mengele, you, yeah, you, you need to be burying the bodies. Oh, for sure. Plus he seems to have the data and cells from Tomu that he needs, or at least he says as such. And then the scientist goes to shake the main villain's hand and, uh, he gets horribly killed. I actually have the recording of that. So I'm just trying to pull it up one second. Oh yeah. Okay. Here we go. あんたの細胞と私のおつむの結晶でなこりゃ。ボディの先行の件ですがね。話が早い。あんたならサンプルとして消しの付けようがない。人も消しましょうや。金はいらないんだ。<笑> My favorite part. Huh? Because he's just like, we're gonna make all this money, and then you know the main character or the main villain is just like, I don't want money. He's like, what? When someone gets blown away in a movie, like especially a scientist, they do that kind of off screen and they do that here too. So I was like, oh, well, that's the end of that. And then the movie Peter. does the bold thing of showing the wound after you don't need to. It was great. It like it cuts to this old man dead in the chair with like a horrible gaping head wound and it's just like spurting blood. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I know, I know most of the audience can't, you know, they don't know Japanese. So you know, basically, he was just like, listen, we, you know, we have the sample we need. We can make so much money selling this to whoever, governments or something, you know. And uh, the main villain guy, Yatsu, you know, he unzips his vest, reveals the X. You know, I guess he's a, a track runner or whatever <laughs> you were saying. I think that's what that, I think that's what that is. X marks that his spot is, for me, yeah. yeah. So he's just like, oh, it's the same guy. He goes for the handshake, but oh, nope, he turns his hand into a gun and just blows him away. Seemed a little unnecessary. I feel like the scientist had everything he wanted and was totally happy with the situation. It's a bit of a shame. I love that character. And, uh, you know, he's gone too soon. Oh, yeah. And, and um, that's what um, he says, Yatsu. That's, that's the, the main villain's name. His name is Yatsu. He says, mm-hmm. the will to kill is all I need. Brutal. I need no money. I just need... The will to kill. <laughs> I love it. Which again, this makes so much more sense to me now that I've read up on Sukumoto's past. Yeah. Everything for him is a matter of will. Just forcing something to exist. I will make my arm turn into a gun and I will shoot people with it. <laughs> I, you know, you also, you like to see a highly motivated villain. Yeah. Yeah. I like a hard worker. A man of principle. <laughs> Yatsu, he tells the kidnappers to inject everyone at the sweaty warehouse or foundry or whatever it is. Inject everybody with the injector gun. Now that we know we have a good specimen. I don't know if it's by accident or not, but Tomu gets a vision that upsets him again. It might just be that they accidentally put on a bad image, but he freaks out and he breaks out of the chair and uh, kills the guard that the scientist sent to dispose of him. I think this is one of the two kidnappers. I'm not positive, though, that it's the same guy. 
I think it is too. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell because they're all bald and this guy's wearing a big, ridiculous piece of armor that looks like an iron lung now. So it's, it's hard to know if it's, just, it's the same guy. Uh, well, he's, you mean he's ascended into his, uh, pure mechanical, uh, killing form. His turtle form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I actually, that shows up again. I love how they reuse that ridiculous thing. Yes. It's a very silly looking suit. I call it the Gamera suit. <laughs> it, it really does. It looks like a uh, Gamera. Or at least it invokes the spirit. Yeah. Of the great turtles of the world. And it's weird. Every time someone gets shot in this film, they get shot like a lot. You know, like they get shot oh, yeah. dozens of times, possibly hundreds <laughs> as later. You know, there's a, a part later where it could be that many. But this one, I think it's just a couple of dozen shots. But in most movies, especially Western films, you just kind of establish that a gun went off and now someone is dead. You know, like maybe two shots or maybe a small handful. But for this yeah. one, maybe because the guy's wearing armor, Tomu fires into this dude's chest like, I don't know, like 50 times or something. And you just watch. <laughs> it cuts away. Yeah. It, it cuts back. It's just like, no, here, here's some more. He's still no, dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, Chest armor explodes open. You you see blood go everywhere, and it's like, all right, you killed him. Oh, we're we're still doing this. Okay, I'm starting to wonder if if it's not a terribly damaging thing, but it pierces. So like, it's like little needles. It's like maybe he just has to shoot like a million of them to kill you. Uh, maybe death by or a maybe thousand cuts. These you know maybe these roly poly looking machine men are. Uh, you know, such terrible weapons of war that it, it requires that much firepower. Could be. So, you know, the head kidnapper, the greater skinhead, he finds the dead man, you know, that Tomu killed, and he seems very upset. That's what made me feel like it was, that was his friend, because he mm -hmm. seems to take it very personally when he's dead. He injects himself with the injector thing, and he just says to himself, the strength of the will to kill decides words to live by. I will also note, I don't know why, but there's like a brief shot where he puts the injector gun. He's wearing very high pants. Yes. They're weird. And he's basically, yeah. Weird leather pants that like have buckles or something and they go up past his belly button. It's like final fantasy pants. <laughs> it's Steven Tyler. And he, yeah, he like and like initially he puts the injector gun where he's like essentially right against his dick. Yes. Before seemingly deciding, wait, no, that would hurt like hell. I thought he was deciding against doing it through the leather. He's just like, well, maybe I need to put it right on the skin. <laughs> but it is weird. Yeah, there's something strange and suggestive. He does go, yeah, for the crotch first, and then he thinks better of it. Okay, so the kidnapper grows an arm. I don't know if I should keep calling him that. Well, he does. Yeah, he kidnaps again. You know, I'm just going to call him the kidnapper. That's what I'm going to call him. Sure. <laughs> he does a lot and he's really good at it. He kidnaps like four different times and he's successful like all of them. Oh, no, wait, no. Actually, I forgot. Yeah, I just realized. No, he, just, he doesn't survive past this, but whatever. His crew is very successful at kidnapping. You know what? He taught them all everything he knew. And, you know, and they took that with them. All right. So, yeah, we'll get to it. He grows an arm of his own. And fires it into the ceiling of wherever they are. Some kind of connected warehouse. 
Tomu wanders out into the daylight wrapped in a blanket. He finds some kind of a weird green industrial phone on an outdoor console and tries to call out. <laughs> what a weird phone. I don't know what it is. It's like a, it looks like an emergency line for like a construction site or something, like some kind of weird outdoor phone that can, yeah, it's made to endure the weather. Whatever it is, it doesn't last very long because the kidnapper guy shoots it with his arm gun and just blows it way the hell up. But Tomu still has the receiver in his hand and he, he forgets about it for a while. So he walks around with like a smoking phone in his hand and <laughs> until he notices it and then he just like hangs it up on a pipe like it belongs there. I don't know why. I just thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah. Oh, I don't need this anymore. I'll just, I'll just put this here. So yeah, the, the kidnapper is in hot pursuit. I'm going to do the same to you as I did to your brat. He says to him, which is uttering those words aloud to a man, you know, can hulk out when he's upset is unwise to say the least. Also, a little unfair because he's basically taking credit for that guy killing his own kid. Yeah. I'm going to trick you into killing yourself. Yeah. Like how I <laughs> tricked you into killing your boy. Yeah. All right. Well, I have I have that clip too, so I'm going to play that for a second. All right. Even though it's in Japanese. Whatever. Bear with me. <laughs> has a really great um, Joker grin when he gets the bloodlust and the evil in him. He has a real yeah. great, it's almost like a painful rictus of a smile. It's very concerning. Yeah. No, it's a great smile. Um, Tomaro or however you say his real name, Mr. Taguchi. He's a really excellent actor and you really see it in this scene. In fact, this might be my favorite scene because there's that thing he does where, you know, he does the evil grin. He kills this dude. Well, not quite. He shoots him a few times. I think he gets shot like six times and like, oh, well, I need to stop for a while because we're going to talk to him later. <laughs> He's not fully <laughs> dead. He's just mostly dead. But then they it's like the stillest part in the whole movie. But then it just shows his face when he's got the evil grin on it. And it holds for a while where like, you know, he's almost like trapped in his bad place. And then you can start to see like sorrow and self-loathing like slowly seep in where he's just like, oh no, what have I done? You know, I've gone to this bad place. Well, yeah, yeah. he like kind of like reaches up to the, to his head like, oh no. Yeah, he's just like, no, no, not again. It's it's wonderful. Oh. It's a wonderful scene. It, it, it has a very like, I don't know how to describe it, like a classy Frankenstein feel to it. Like the monster being unleashed and then not wanting that for itself. Yeah. Probably my, my favorite scene. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent acting. After that, he goes to check out the kidnapper who's just laying, dying out in the junkyard. 
you know, wherever the hell they are, some kind of scrapyard. The kidnapper tells Tamu about how the bathtub man, you know, Mr. Yatsu, with the X on his chest, first showed him metal arm gun powers. And then Yatsu injects all the weightlifting foundry minions with his metal injector. So, I mean, yeah, he's just made like a weird cult of metal worshiping buff freaks, you know, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty amazing in of itself. Setting up a cult is pretty, pretty hard. It takes a lot of effort. But then again, I, yeah, pe- you know, but then again, you have to, you, you can't usually manifest a miracle. And if you're able to make a gun come out of your arm, maybe, maybe people would want to follow you. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, you know, underestimate it, but you know, there's a lot of groundwork that went into getting there in the first place. So years yeah. of, of social interactions, just building the, yeah, it's, I almost feel bad for all those minions and like endless movies, you know, and villain corporations, how much work it took to get these people to be like your slavish dogs of war. Just to get beaten up by Batman or whoever. Mm-hmm. So we go back to Tomu's wife at home, looking through a closet. She finds a shirt with a hole in it. This is the shirt that Tomu was wearing when he was injected with the metal injector. But his wife finds that the injector was stuck. Like it hit a calculator or, or a PDA, some kind of weird little handheld electronic device. I don't know if you know what it is. I, I think it's a calculator. I, I no idea. The injector hit a calculator or a BlackBerry or a PDA or whatever it was. And so Tomu wasn't affected by the injection at all, which is pretty funny because they very, Yatsu just very carelessly injected all of his friends with this stuff. And it's not even the right stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess that means that he probably, he doesn't know the truth of it because he might not have done that otherwise. Well, we'll, we'll get to it. I'm trying to work out the plot line, but I already know how it ends. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get there when we'll get there when we get there. So yeah, Tomu comes home from his horrible death battle with the skinhead guy he just killed and uh, <laughs> his, his wife, Kana. That's her name. She hides under the blankets of their bed with keepsakes and items that their son Minori once owned. Ouch. This is like one of the only character moments they, they get in this movie where they just both have a good cry in one another's presence. Yeah. It's such a depressing scene. <laughs> the movie is, is so silly. And then, and then this super heaviness comes in like every now and then it just hits you with like a sledgehammer. Wait, 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 wait. Peter. Yes. Like a body hammer? Yes. A body hammer. It makes your heart turn to metal. Okay, so Kana wanders outside in her grief and immediately gets kidnapped by Yatsu in a black car. These dudes, they, they're just simply exceptional at kidnapping. Yeah, it just keeps happening. Over and over. Yeah, and they don't even stop the car. They, like, slow down. And just like grab her from the passenger side and just pull her in. That is a slick grab. They've done it before. Yeah. Obviously. So Tomu runs outside and he mounts on a bike to give chase. Throughout a lot of these uh, chase sequences, they play this really crazy synth music that almost sounds to me like a, like a Super Nintendo soundtrack. 
<laughs> yes. And it, it, it yeah. kicks back in here, which is pretty great. It's like, nah, 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 nah. In general, I like the soundtrack. Yeah, it is a good soundtrack. Tomu is mad. Therefore, his body changes. <laughs> it contorts and he's able to keep up with Yatsu's fast-moving vehicle. You know, he's, he's keeping up with a car on a bike, which is already pretty incredible. And then it gets even more incredible because Tomu announces to God and everyone that now he is really mad. You know, TM. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am maximum mad. So he, he sprouts the chest guns again and shoots wildly, but he never hits the car. Or at least not at first. Then he gets so mad that he discards the bike entirely and scuttles along the sides of the buildings on all fours. And also, this is one, one of those moments where the ambition of the director probably didn't meet the financial realities, <laughs> you know, of, of what he yeah. was doing here. But you know what? It's still plausible. It's, it's filmed in a weird way where you don't entirely see what's happening because they can't show it. It's just impossible, you know, to have a guy scaling the side of a, of a skyscraper yeah, at high speeds. So they, they have these great shots where they'll just show it for a second. And like, there's a guy like sipping coffee or something like in a, in one of the offices. And then you see a man running by real quick on all fours. There's just enough that it really makes it feel like it is happening, but you also do get a sense like, Oh, they're saving money here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Tomu manages to mount the car in, in like a mighty leap. And then one of Yatsu's men uses an arm gun to shoot him off the roof. Tomu screams in rage and shoots the crap out of the rear of Yatsu's car as they drive away. This is all very action movie-ish. Yeah. And it's also pretty reckless since his wife is in the car. <laughs> uh, the villain does comment to that effect. Yeah. Like, man, he really doesn't even care about you. I'm glad they put that in there. Although I do wonder if that was like a continuity correction where like afterwards he's like, Oh, wait a minute. He can't be shooting the car with his wife inside. Ah, whatever. Let's, I, let's just have it be part of it. I, I'm sure it's intentional. I mean, him potentially losing and, uh, you know, even, even in fact, losing you know, things he loves due to his anger is, uh, a recurring element of his character. Yeah, We do need to have a talk later about what this movie is about. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things that it could be about. <laughs> and that is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So back at the foundry, Yatsu's men are really not looking good. They're all covered in rust now from what must have been a, a defective specimen in the injector gun. Mm -hmm. So Yatsu has kind of tied up in his altar room or whatever it is. To me, it looks like the Game of Thrones throne if it was a cyberpunk computer chair. <laughs> Just like a weird, like, cyber throne or something. I love a good villain throne room. Just the, the audacity yeah. of it. Not only am I doing something nefarious, I'm going to, like, advertise it. Like, if people walk into this room, they're not going to be like, oh, you're doing something good here, you know? <laughs> yeah. It looks like a scene from, like, I don't know, like, Devil's Advocate or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird altar room. 
It's a, it's a real bad news chairs. Yeah. Oh, God, Jacob. <laughs> the puns. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Admit it. Sure. Also, it's like a 70s reference. I mean, they did remake it in the whenever it's like 90s or something. Oh, yeah. Or is that early 2000s? Whatever. It had, uh, I was about to say Joe Bob Briggs, but no, it was the other Joe Bob. Uh, what the fuck is it? Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, as the drunk. <laughs> Before his bad Santa days. Yeah. Or maybe after. Actually, I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? That movie sucks. I, the, yeah. I... <laughs> All right. So Yatsu explains that Tomu, or possibly himself, I think he's talking about Tomu, but he, he says that he never fought back as a child. But one day, Bully stole his gladiola bulbs. I actually looked it up because I wasn't quite sure what that was. It turns out that he meant a gladiolus, but I think they wrote it wrong or I don't know. Maybe it's a type of gladiola. Anyway, it's a flowering plant. It's just, you know, flower bulbs. Yeah. So he snapped and killed most of the bullies with his bare hands or possibly an arm gun. It's not quite clear. One of Yatsu's rusty guards is wearing a, that same crazy armored bodysuit that resembles an iron lung. It's like walking around in like a, like a Tootsie roll, you know, like that kind of a shape. <laughs> you think it would make you safe, but uh, it really doesn't work in any of the situations where anyone's wearing it. No, that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, Tomu just charges in and just makes short work of this guy. I mean, and by short work, I mean, he still shoots him like a ton. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think only two dozen bullets this time. Yeah, it's quite a lot. That's the thing. It's not like rapid fire. It's like individual no. premeditated shots. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> just over and over. I I love it. I mean, you can tell that, that Tsukamoto just as a director, he just really loves a good shooting scene. He just wants someone to just get shot all to hell until they're just like piles of meat. So Yatsu, he knows that Tomu's there and that he's coming for him. And he wants to see Tomu in his ultimate form because that's always what you want to see, <laughs> you know? So he seemingly shoots Kana off screen to get him angry enough. I mean, we all know movie mechanics. I mean, this movie's pretty weird. It can deviate sometimes, but, you know, there's almost like no chance that he would have just killed his wife off screen. You know what I mean? Like, like, why would you do that? Yeah. yeah. But it does yeah. get Tomu mad enough just in case, you know, that it might've happened that he's encased <laughs> in wires, stop motion wire and stuff. And it just totally transforms him. And I got to say that it is one of the worst final forms I've ever seen. Well, maybe this isn't quite his final form, but whatever this form is, it, it's, it's bad. It, it's, it's a bad looking form. <laughs> I like it. It's got like a giant cylinder. It almost looks like a giant pylon of stone in his left shoulder. And then he's just encased with like almost crystalline looking metal in his face and arms and stuff. Uh, he's just like a jumble of junk parts. But then out of all of that are just really bright, perfect teeth. Yes. So he, you can still, you can see a real yeah. winning smile, like in that pile of garbage. Yeah, that one's interesting to me, though, just because, I, I mean, as much as I like the other special effects, uh, this one is like a step above, you know what I mean? It's like elaborateness. 
Sure. It is a lot more functional as well. I mean, he can't move very well in it, but it, you can tell he can still move better in it than anyone could in the original Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he still kind of shambles along. I don't know. This just feels like he's lost a lot of his uh, his agility. It just makes him a target. I would not want this to be my final form. You know, I would be upset I, if this is what happened to me. It's like, really? I can barely move, man. Yeah, he he's kind of become like a like a common writer villain or something. Yeah. It's uh it's unfortunate. Yatsu sneaks up on him. He grows his gun arm and he he snipes him and he like shoots him out into I don't know, the outside somewhere. Uh, and then they fight for a while. Yatsu gets Tamu in a headlock and Tamu injects Yatsu with rust through a wound in his knee. You know, because Yatsu has a wound in his knee. And, you know, they never really established that Tamu can do things like that. But whatever. Let's just go with it. I will now give you rust, therefore killing you. I mean, look. He did it, so he can do it. I guess. Well, it's weird that he has it in him, <laughs> but it's not killing him. You know what I mean? So, like, he can generate something that kills metal, but he's made of metal. Yeah, whatever. Maybe that just means he's an expert. You know, he's like, I know exactly how to ruin you. <laughs> and it's weird yeah i mean oh yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say yeah i mean maybe it also yeah it wouldn't affect him this quickly because he's like more of an expert on that kind of thing well they're both kind of experts i mean yeah we'll get to that that's coming up but uh oh yeah, yeah. but nevertheless yatsu rusts out almost instantly he climbs onto a like a treadmill or something that just dumps him out into a pile of junk like in, a, in another area tomo goes to finish him off only to find that Yatsu has used his new rust powers to gather metal slag onto himself through the power of will to kill. It's a pretty neat scene, but it really is just like a big crazy monster fight. Just, just two <laughs> ugly monsters just throwing stuff at each other and, and activating things. Yeah. Yeah. Yatsu activates a huge junkyard magnet that pulls Tamu into a trash compactor. And I love it that it's such a weirdly impractical trash compactor. It closes the lid of a garbage can, like, from an angle. It's like, <laughs> Seems like it should just come straight down, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's more dramatic this way, you know, because Tomu's having trouble getting out and the magnet's too strong. But then Yatsu, like, starts dying more actively of the rust. He bends over and just vomits, like, a stream of rust dust. <laughs> <laughs> And something about that makes him lose control of the magnet. So Tomu is able to climb out, uh, but it's still activated. So then Yatsu gets pulled in and the compactor just very quickly crushes him, you know, because he's the bad guy. You know, like it happens in fast forward when it's someone bad in there. And it pops his head right off. And I, I got to say, I, I love a good head crush. And uh, this is a really excellent one. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's a partial head crush because it, they built a weird dummy head that gets squished a little bit to the point where like the eyes start to bug out and then it kind of forces <laughs> his head off of his body. So I don't know if yeah. I can say, you know, it's like a definitive head crush, but whatever it is, it's quite, it's quite good. Yeah. It's fun. It's a good time. Yeah. And that's all that's yeah. left of Yatsu, you know, just a head laying in the dirt and uh Tamu goes to mess with it. I don't know why, just to be sure, I guess. And uh, when he gets too close, Yatsu somehow is still alive, just like the top half of the top of his head, like shoots a tube 
into Tamu's head. And then they share memories in some kind of mystical way. I, I think it's not clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then the movie just becomes a sort of feverish music video montage of wires <laughs> and naked crouching people spinning around at high speed. I'm with it. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. I kind of like this because there, there are points in other movies where things just kind of go insane. Yeah. But this is like the definitive the moment. Oh, like, yeah, when the tube hits his head, the movie goes insane. Yes. Yes, it does. It looks like something that could have been in Hellraiser. When they're when they're going around <laughs> Leviathan, the, the Lord of the Labyrinth or whatever, maybe in the sequel movie. It would just be something you mm-hmm. would see in one of the rooms, like someone spinning around covered in metal and stuff. Yeah. Lord of the Labyrinth. Like I love Hellraiser too. Brief flashes of like geodes and stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's like the moon. Yeah, there was, there was yeah. a couple. There's points, some 2001 yeah. looking surreal stuff like Kubrick-esque where there's like cells yeah. dividing and yeah, there's like super magnified things and like galactic stuff. It's just all thrown together. A camera going up someone's uh, sphincter. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what that is. <laughs> and then we get some, uh, you know, then we get some nice family memories. Or at least you think they are until you find out what happened. Yeah. It's a scene where there's a family of four. It's a husband and wife and two sons. And they're walking out in a field of long grass to the uh, low ominous humming of Ave Maria. Nice callback. That yeah. Two different women chose to be creepy on two different occasions. <laughs> I mean, it's like poetry. Circular. I was gonna say circular or cyclical. I couldn't decide which. It's circular. <laughs> All right. So the the youngest son pretends to kill his dad with like a flimsy stick, and the dad plays along like he was just hit by a samurai sword. You know, it's like, oh, that's a cool dad. Yeah. Uh, well, at least you think so until you go to the next scene where you see the dad working in his weird workshop. <laughs> It's like a weird, I don't know. It's a domestic workshop. It's got a nice kind of homey feel to it. You know, like a kind of a Santa's workshop kind of feel, but then you see what he's yeah. doing and you're just like, what the hell is this stuff? <laughs> it's like metal things all stuck together. Wrong things that shouldn't be yeah. together. And then he's got his two children there, two boys. Uh, one of them's got a hair lip, which, you know, uh, Yatsu's got a hair lip. So, you know, you, you start to realize, at least I did that, you know, this is probably a young Yatsu. Mm-hmm. And his dad has something horrible under a sheet. And it's so funny because there is no <laughs> indication that it's going to be horrible. I thought it was going to no. be like a gift or a present because he's so cutesy about it. He's just like, guess what I've got? Guess what it is? You know, I was like, well, is it, yeah. it going to be like a snow globe? I bet it'll be cool. And then he pulls it off. He's like, abracadabra. And it's like. Okay, well, I know how I want to describe it. Well, how would you describe what it is under that thing? Uh, a teapot that wants to die. Yeah. I wrote that it looked like a cross between a cat and a tea kettle. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we're in the same vibe on that. Yeah, whatever it is, <laughs> it's like, yeah, just a writhing metal pot that's like squealing. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't look like it wants to be alive. You know, like, why do I exist? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know i guess that's your first indication that there's something terribly wrong with this man 
Yeah. Then we get a scene where the father is having his children aim real loaded pistols. You don't know what they're aiming at, but it doesn't matter because when they go to fire the guns, instead of firing, they just go into their arms. They just get like absorbed into inside of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the dad would be upset, but he's not. So I guess that means maybe it was a, according to plan. I, I don't quite know if it was something he was anticipating or if it's just something he embraced because it happened. I think that was intentional. Well, if he's able to make a tea kettle cat, then I suppose he could probably somehow screw with his kids to make pistols get absorbed into their arms. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he's telling his wife or somebody, he's just like, I have to prove that this can be real, you know, because uh, I have to prove to the government, you know, that this is real and that it can be usable. We can make a human weapon for the first time ever. That's just standard bad horror movie logic. I mean, in a lot of these body horror sci-fi things where they're just like, you know, like the fly Two, which we've already covered where it's just like, Oh, listen, we're going to, we're going to make this thing. Uh, why? Because the government, <laughs> that's why they want this. Why would they want this? I don't know, but they do. Um, yeah. As far as super weapons go, uh, it's not great. Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, for a lot of things, you know, like making a giant fly monster in the fly too was a terrible plan, but <laughs> making a dude who can manifest a gun with seemingly endless ammo come out of his arm. That's pretty cool. I mean, like as far as weapons go, that's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good one. I mean, yeah, but they all go nuts. Well, yeah, that seems to be the case. I mean, especially when you see later in this how you, you only seem to get people to want to do it when like you've made them lose their mind with grief and anger. So yeah, maybe it's not great. It's a shame you can't do it by channeling good memories or something, you know, think about kitty cats and then a gun will come out of your arm. (laughs) So yeah, he has them go point their finger guns at a dog. It is a very cute dog. So yeah, Um, trigger warning everyone, you know, like, does the dog die.com? Uh, yeah, dog, uh, straight up dies in this one. Maybe I should have said that at the beginning. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, you don't see it die. No.
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. They, they were about to kill a dog. Uh, I don't know if we actually... Um, you know which kind of dog that uh, is? It's, it's like oh, an Akita uh, or whatever, right? I, or whatever they call that. I think it might be... Let's see. Shiba Inu? I, I, I have to, like... Yeah, it's one of those Japanese uh, breeds. I have to, like, actually get to the... Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Shibas are a little bit... Uh, different so th- that's what they're called uh, akita like a-k-i-t-a yeah i think that's what that one is okay um it's a little yeah it's got a cute little curly tail i don't know why yeah like, i just feel like if you're gonna well yeah, okay you should never kill a dog but i mean if you're going to <laughs> why would you choose a cute one you know what i mean like why not get like i don't know like one that's dying or whatever jeez <laughs> Maybe just shoot a target. I mean, you don't need to kill a dog. Yeah, well, also, I don't think... Japan doesn't really have, like, ugly dog breeds. They're all pretty cute. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, yeah, they're the two brothers. They're pointing their finger guns at the dog. The eldest son gives up. He's just like, I'm not going to do this. He picks up, like, a little toy, a construction toy, and he just walks away. He's like, I'm just going to go play. Good move, kid. You know, like, don't don't soil your soul. But the younger one with the hair lip, which, you know, presumably this is Yatsu, hmm. he's cool with it. So he just shoots the dog. I mean, at least you don't get to see it. So, you know, you're spared that much. You show right off the bat that there's a difference between these two boys. So Tomo's wife, Akana, she was watching all of these memories on a monitor somehow. I guess while they were having their transcendental mind meld, they were also sending this screwed up memory to her through the monitors. Why not? Yeah, she's like sitting around in Yatsu's cyber throne room and is just watching all this happen. Then she shouts, don't let him remember, which is odd. I don't know why she says that. I mean, there are things that Tamu shouldn't remember, as we find out here in a sec, but I don't know how she knows that. It's, I don't know. Is she keeping secrets? Like, she knows more about him than he knows about himself? Um, my interpretation was, I mean, early on in the movie, I mean, the first scene together, he's obviously deeply traumatized and she knows that he has some traumatizing experiences from the past. Oh, so she just wants him to like not have to relive it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she knows the specifics, but she knows that whatever happened to him was disturbing enough that he forgot about it. Sure. And then as if to activate it by saying that. Scenes of a man and a woman having sex pop up on the monitor. Hey, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> and boy. Yeah. Are they having sex? What a sex scene, right? <laughs> yeah. So it seems Yatsu's father had a, a real demented kink where he liked to have sex with his wife while holding her at gunpoint. They're both super moist, like in their, I don't know where they are, bedroom or wherever. And he's just like lovingly pointing a gun at her and just rubbing the barrel all, all, you know, up and down her body in her mouth. And then the two boys walk in and see just in time their father shoot their mom. I'm not sure if it's on purpose or not. I don't know if, if you got an impression one way or the other. Like, do you think he meant to shoot her or was it just an accident? Um, I mean, I will say... The guy is some pretty dog shit trigger discipline. So, uh... You think it was an accident? I mean, hard to say. 
you know, I do think it's an accident because he, he does have like a pretty horrified look on his That's face. True. He does seem surprised by his own stupid acts. I wanted to threaten you with a gun, but I didn't want it to go off. <laughs> so yeah, the elder son is naturally upset. He, he whips out his arm gun and, and shoots both parents. It's weird. The mom seems to stand up too, even though she's dead. Or maybe she was only wounded and then he finishes them both. I'm, I'm not clear. It's very strangely shot. Mm-hmm. But I think she's dead first. Somehow. I don't know. And so, yeah, then he shoots them and he has an evil, evil look on his face. And the Ave Maria plays and uh, he keeps shooting. This is like the most I've ever seen people be shot in a movie. Like, he shoots them for so long, like in slow motion. Yeah. And again, it cuts away and you're like, okay, well that's over. You know, he shot them and we get it, but then it goes back and it's like, no, no, no. We're going to keep watching. They're not fully shot yet. Yeah. To be fair, if you, if you heard that and you're thinking, well, what about, uh, what about in RoboCop? No, this, it goes on longer. Yeah. It goes longer than RoboCop. If you know that scene where the Ed 209 <laughs> malfunctions and blows that dude away. And there's like, oh, there's a longer cut where he falls on the table and keeps getting shot. It goes longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also the scene with Murphy where he gets blown apart too. Oh yeah. That also that. Yeah. Bo- movie. Yeah. yeah the, the movie also has. Verhoeven really, has yeah, of- he reveled in that decadent uh, violence in the same <laughs> way that, that this guy does that Shinya Tsukamoto does. Yeah. And he keeps shooting and then it, it cuts to the father's head. And then the head gets shot to bits. Like it, it, multiple bullets blow the, the flesh from his face and then blow up the bone underneath. It's just like the whole head just like disintegrates <laughs> under bullets. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a really excellent head blow, head blowing away. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Uh, I, I love all the prosthetic heads in this movie. They're all great. I will also say uh, contrasted with, Minori's actor, who I do not think is especially good or interesting. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's not, he's not really given a lot. Uh, this kid is pretty good. He has a pretty demented look on his face while he's doing yeah, this. He has, he's this like, he has the same demented Joker grin. In fact, it's such a distinctive grin. It makes you realize immediately, like, oh, this is Tomu. You know, this is young him. Yeah, yeah. He's having fun with it. And there's like a weird narration. I can't remember who's saying it, but he's just like, he learned to love destruction that day. <laughs> it was his great awakening. Oh yeah. And it's not just that it's, it's his parents getting shot and blown to bits. It also shows the blood spatter going everywhere. Like all over all the lamps, <laughs> the windows, the walls, the place must've just been like, just covered in blood by the end of it. Yeah. So yeah. So Tomu and Yatsu were brothers. So neither of them got their metal powers from an injection. So it seems like Yasu is just trying to artificially recreate what happened to them. Well, I was going to say naturally, but whatever, I guess in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that just means it was a a huge coincidence that Yasu found Tamu again. You know, he must've buried his past and, you know, and changed his identity. So I guess they just thought they were grabbing a random businessman. I mean, when, when Yatsu sees Tamu morphing out on the table, he just says like, cool, you know, or at least the Japanese equivalent in the translation. That's all it says. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Yeah. He doesn't seem to recognize him as his brother or if he does, he doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't make it obvious. Maybe he doesn't care one way or the other. I didn't get the impression that he knew. Yeah. Which is odd. You think he would know, but I guess not. Because I don't think Yatsu forgot anything. I think he's embraced his horribleness. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I think there's a certain element of predestination to this. Yeah. You know? It's got a certain weird sense of fate, like it has to happen this way or something. Yeah. Earlier in the movie, they were showing an umbilical cord leading somewhere. So I wonder if that's part of the symbology of all this. It's something about the evilness of the father transferring his badness into his children, literally. No, 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 no. Yeah, I was going to... Yeah, I was going to say later on, yeah, that's definitely one one of the strongest things. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So wife, Kana, she goes out to find Tamu out in the junkyard or wherever they are, scrapyard. Tamu has become enormous, like a huge tank now. Yatsu's head is feeding into his. And then Tamu grunts and there is an explosion. And I'm not sure if he blows up Yatsu's head or not. I don't see it again after that, but I don't know. When I read in the IMDb description, it it says that Yatsu's head was absorbed into his body. I don't think I see that, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, I'm not not sure either. I'm not sure if it matters one way or another, but whatever. The interaction is over. So... Tamu humbly begs his wife to pick up the defective rust gun and just like, please just finish me off. I don't want to be this thing. You know, it's basically the end of the fly all over again, you know, where a woman has to make a choice about killing the one she loves. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this lady kind of, she just doesn't have the fortitude that Gina Davis did. She just doesn't want to do it. I just can't do it. She loves him too much. And it's weird because, you know, it seems like he wants to die. But then after she's like, nah, he almost, I don't know. It's not like a change of heart, but it's just more like, well, if I'm not going to die, then I'm going to do what I I think needs to be done. And that is destroy the world. (laughs) I mean, right? I I guess. Well, I mean, I I don't think it's maybe not explicitly destroy the world, but, you know, he's got that anger built up in him. And let's, you know, let it out in as much as he possibly can. He's more machine now than man. Twisted and evil. So all the surviving followers of Yatsu wander out of the foundry and they slowly gather around Cyber Tamu. Tamu sends out his tendrils into every man's head. He screams and then they scream. We all scream uh, for ice cream. Okay, I'm glad you went there, because I was, like, seconds from doing Uh, that myself. uh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure. I feel like he's transferring his rage and badness into all of these men. Like, he can control them, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's more like he's transferring them into him. Yeah. Because uh, later on, you do see all those... uh, Horrible screaming faces on the side of his tank body. Yeah, what a what a wonderful tank. Yeah, we're almost there. So yeah, there's before that, there's a very strange shot of a fetus in a womb throwing back its little fetus head and screaming. What a wonderful little puppet that was. <laughs> I know, but we'll, yeah. Whose fetus is this? I mean, this is a symbolic fetus, right? There is no real one. No, 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 yeah, it's symbolic. It's it's him being reborn. The umbilical feeding evil into the innocent. Yeah. 
is it a metaphor about society that like we start pure and then evil is just pumped into us? I don't like that because like, first of all, I don't want to like be tempted to make any kind of, you know, we live in a society comment, <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, I don't, I don't, I don't think this movie has a lot to say about society specifically though. You don't think there's a lot of symbolic stuff or is it your, maybe just family issues what? specifically? I, yeah, 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 I think it's more interpersonal than that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is right near the end now. So later out on the streets, Tamu has grown some tank treads and he's marching out on the world. Kana has jumped aboard and I guess she's content to just watch the world burn, I suppose. Uh, wouldn't you be? Yeah, really. I actually have the audio from this part as well. So I'm going to play this for a second. All right. <laughs> Yeah, it was just screaming faces. And yeah, he just he just kind of rolls out onto the world and uh, just destroys the city, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much of that you could have heard over Discord uh, we play, but yeah. Yeah, almost none. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird ending. It's just a, yeah, there's a huge tank. It's it's full of the faces of these follower men, and it's got Tamu on top. And uh, yeah, he's just going to go destroy the world, or at least part of it, because they go to the next scene, and it's him looking normal, you know, Tamu, and his wife is okay. Mm-hmm. She's there too. And her... Well, their son, Minori, is somehow alive and he's hanging out with them. And they're walking around the ruins of a city. I assume it's Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And Kana's just like, oh, it's so peaceful here. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's odd, you know? Like, I guess that's yeah. a one way to bring peace is to end activity, right? Sure, why not? Then we go to Tamu's chest and his heart is beating like a sledgehammer. And we get some crazy zooms in and out on him. <laughs> and then that's uh, that's it. It just goes to credits. Yeah. Yeah, baby. And that, my friends, was Tetsuo 2. Body Hammer. So it got 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, that, that's not surprising. It's not bad. That's a respectable score, I suppose. Yeah. There wasn't enough critical reviews on Rotten Tomatoes to give a proper score, but it got a 60% audience score by those who bothered to rate it. The most depressing thing about the film, actually, is the listed box office. I don't know if you looked this up. No, I didn't. But I got it confirmed on two different sites. I didn't believe it. It was so low. (laughs) So Wikipedia and IMDb both say that the opening weekend in the U S and Canada was 
$550. Yeah. I mean, how much do you think, you know how much it got in Japan? I don't know. I would like to know. Enough to get a uh, a third one. Yeah, I guess, I guess, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I just don't have the right numbers here. Maybe this is the wrong hemisphere, you know? It could be that. I mean, that's low either way, but also, I mean, like, it's a bit... I don't think a movie like this is ever going to get that much play over in America. Yeah. So how does this compare to the original, Jacob? Contrast and compare for a minute. Um, I would say that this is the better movie overall. But I think there's something... I like sort of the unrefined nature of the first one, you know? Yeah, I think I agree, actually. Tetsuo the Bullet Man is not a horror movie. But I would almost like to watch that one just because I feel like this... They're all basically telling the same story. The Bullet Man is the most different, but I feel like it's him refining the same idea. Yeah, with like the last one being the most refined, but like I think uh, the worst of the three. But uh, I don't know. It It's interesting. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. You don't normally get three chances as a creative type to do this kind of a thing. Yeah, I will do it yet again. Yeah. That's all I've learned. Okay, so what is your 1 to 10 rating for Tetsuo 2, Electric Boogaloo? Um, God, I, you know what I need to start doing is like thinking of this before we start the episode. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I actually did write, <laughs> I always write out my review before because I can't think of this. Yeah. Spot. No, yeah. Um, I guess I would say a solid seven to me. I mean, like, I don't think, like, I don't think the movie is like, What'd you give Tetsuo the Iron Man? Was it seven or eight? I think I gave the first one an eight. Because like I said, I do like that one more. It's like a compact experience. It's an obvious passion project, which I mean, like this one is too. But I mean, like this one, even though it has like a shoestring budget, it is not made out of the guy's apartment. Yeah. Like the first one. It's not as desperate Uh, as the first movie. That's, yeah, I feel like some of that desperation really goes a long way with that movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a pretty thoroughly enjoyable, slightly above average Japanese action horror movie. Sure. Let's see. This one is simpler and perhaps less unique. It's more yeah. uh, streamlined. It is, however, a lot easier for me to watch, <laughs> which goes a long way with me. Sure. And I think that probably will go for most other people as well. I think that this is a lot more digestible. It's a lot more approachable. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's a longer movie than Tetsuo the Iron Man, it felt way shorter to me. Maybe because I was processing less. I don't know. It's hard to describe. <laughs> Tetsuo the Iron Man is like condensed soup, you know, like without putting the water in. It's like drinking all the salts and everything, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. God, there's so much. So this feels a little more diluted and a little more, a little more palatable, easier, easier to go down. Um, it still mm-hmm. has some nice symbolism. You know, there is this weird family dynamic and about a bad father having uh, a different effect on two of his sons. Apparently that was the, the case the whole time, but the movie doesn't tell you that until like right at the end. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of symbolic. I think there was probably more 
symbolic and philosophical stuff that you can plumb the depths of in the original Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say that this film is thoughtful, it's excessive, and it's yeah. fun to watch. Um, I think I'm going to go, see, I gave four out of ten for the original. I think I, I might actually bump that up to five. I'm, I'm not going to officially do that, but, you know, in, in retrospect, I might. But I think I'll go six out of ten for this movie. Okay. So now, Jacob, mm-hmm. now audience. I'm going to do a Peter's IMDb keyword game, relevant or not relevant, where I list off the IMDb keywords and uh, you and the audience can guess, you know, which are relevant and which are not. Relevant as chosen by other people who visited this movie on IMDb and, you know, weighed in on the keywords that were presented there. There's only 16 that are for this movie. So, you know, I'm going to go through all of these. Oh, wait, no, this is 21. I mean, you know what? Maybe I can't count. Give me a second. Two, four, eight, All right, no, it is 21. I could have sworn it said 16. Whatever. Okay, so there's 21. I'm just going to do all of them. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, as we go, just you know, make your guesses about uh, what was and was not found relevant. Although I'm just going to warn you okay. now, though, that the ones that are found relevant, we were only found relevant by one person each. So it's not a, it's not a huge distinction. All right. All right, uh, biopunk. Uh, I mean, that feels almost too specific. So, yeah, I, feel, I guess that's going to be relevant. No. Really? Okay. Maybe it's just too weird of a word. Uh, yeah. Death of child. Uh, I mean, yeah. No, it's not, it's not listed as relevant. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. Even, I mean, that feels like, yeah. That, that, if you're like, looking for the whole movie, like, that's the crux of the whole movie. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I know. Yeah. I would have put that as relevant. If you, yeah, if you're looking for a dead... Okay, look, folks, if you're looking for a dead kid movie, this is one to search for. Yeah. All right. Uh, cyberpunk. How about that? I, I'm going to be mad if it's not relevant. Okay, it, 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 cyberpunk is relevant. Okay. Uh, written and directed by cast member. Um, sure. It was also relevant. Way to go, Jacob. All right. All right. Way to go. Roman numeral in title. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go with a no on that. Yeah. It was not relevant. It's only sometimes yeah. a Roman numeral. It seems to be in the, the actual credit sequence or whatever, the, the title card, but yeah, listed elsewhere. It's just the numerical two. Uh, surrealism. Uh, yeah, it is very surreal, but no, not relevant. Huh, okay. Aquarium. Uh, no. Yeah, that's relevant. Sorry. Really? I... I'm not sure why. I don't even, I don't even I, remember I, an aquarium in the movie. Can you recall? I, yeah, I can't. I can recall the shot, the single shot the aquarium is in, and that's <laughs> making me real mad that they <laughs> decided to make that relevant. Yeah. Okay, well, here's one related. Uh, swimming pool. Relevant or not? Well, I guess now, yeah. No, it's I not. I wouldn't say that. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Peter, you need to be honest with me. Did you do this? No, I no. This is this is real. I'm doing it in a random order, but yeah. Okay. okay I'm is... curating the order a little bit to be to be funny. Okay. Yeah. To this amuse is myself. Me upset. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> glad, glad you're liking it. Uh, how about a uh, rooftop? I mean, they are on the rooftop a lot. A lot of bad things happen there. <sighs> but would God would someone think to make that relevant? No, it is. It's relevant. Jesus. Yeah, death of a child not relevant. Rooftop. Yeah, relevant. yeah. We don't care what happens on the roof. It's just that it was there. Uh, sequel. Relevant or not relevant? Relevant. Yes. Relevant. Way to go. Okay. Tokyo, Japan. Uh, wait, does the movie even take place in Tokyo? Well, the tagline says that Tokyo <laughs> is full of rage. So. Oh, true. I, true, I true. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, relevant. Right. Boom. Uh, violence. Yeah, I feel like this might be one that's relevant. I feel like people would search for that. Yeah, you know? that is relevant. Right. As dictated by one person. Yeah, he, yeah, this one motherfucker. We're just depending on the, the whims of just a handful of people. Yeah. All right, uh, experimental film. Um, no. It is relevant. Okay, all right. I, I'm trying to get, like, here's the thing is I have to, like, Get in the mindset of this one guy. Yeah, yeah. Second part. Uh, is that the no. second part? It's it's not really a second part. That's the thing. I don't. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. First of all, yeah, it's not. And if they're they say it is, they're wrong. So it shouldn't be relevant. It's relevant. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just play. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, telephone call, relevant or not relevant? Shit, I mean, they get a call that says yeah, that their front door was unlocked. Yeah, there was like the one shot of the aquarium, and that's relevant too. Yeah, but not the kid dying. Yeah, okay, let's go. Phone call. So you're saying it's relevant? Yeah. No, it's not. Okay, uh, shot in the head. Um, wait. Oh, yeah, uh, no. Yeah, no, it's not relevant. How about okay. Dream? Uh, you know what? I'm also going to go now. Yep, you're correct. Let's see. We got, one. Right. got three left. Okay. Uh, All produced right. by director. Uh, yeah. No, not relevant. Jesus. All right, last two. All right. Kidnapping. Yeah. Yes. It is relevant, okay. Jacob. All right. Last but well, not I'm, least. Well, yeah, but this guy doesn't think the, the kid, fucking kid dying is relevant either. Oh, wait. I missed one. Uh, uh, written by director. How about that? Uh, no. Yeah, not relevant. Who cares? Yeah. Why did they write that? Okay, so here's the real last one. Uh, metal. Relevant or not relevant? I Well... I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to be mad if this guy doesn't do that. It's not relevant. No, I'm just kidding. It's relevant. Okay. It's real. I guess that, you know, they all have a certain degree of relevance because someone bothered to write something. Well, yeah, I mean, but you know, there's, it has more credibility when more than one person agrees. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Okay. So the third movie bullet man wasn't made until 18 years had passed. Uh, I don't know. We may <laughs> eventually get to that, but 
You know, it would just I be to round out the trilogy. I don't know if I see a point in that one. Yeah, I'm not super eager to round that out. <laughs> I'm glad we're in agreement, Jacob. So your birthday wish was granted. Are you pleased with yourself? <laughs> I mean, I like this movie. So yeah, I thought it was fun. All right. Any parting thoughts about this movie? Lessons learned? Anything like that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, you sound like you're wanting to go over some of the themes and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, what you got? You sounded like you had some stuff to say. And yeah, like I said, I, I you know, I think that if you were to like break down the uh, the themes of the movie, yeah, it is about like anger and how your you know your your father or like parental figure can take whatever negative karma or whatever you want to call it and like yeah. pass it on to their children and keep that cycle going. Well, it's interesting because Sukumoto was raised by an overbearing father. And he was the youngest of two boys. And then in this movie, his evil character that he plays is raised by an overbearing father and he's the youngest of two boys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can see very much that this is a a mirroring of his whole life. It's interesting. He made his brother the more likable of the two that he was the one that was softer and didn't want to do these terrible things and, you know, go along with his father's bad vision. Whereas I think in real life, it might've been more the other way around where the, the other son went along with his overbearing nature and was, you know, athletic and became something of a success, at least in school. You know, I don't know about in life. I didn't look that far into the man mm-hmm. about what he did afterwards, but yeah, it's kind of a story about Sukumono's life. It's also a story yeah. about repression of emotions and about when you express them, that it can be dangerous and, um, I don't know, seductive, like it'll pull you down. Mm-hmm. And it's also about gathering up the woes of the world on your shoulders in a way that I guess you find unbearable. Yeah, it's very interesting in that way. And like I said, it's not quite as as deep as the first movie, but it's got it's got something to say here. And I think that's that makes it worthy of review. You know, I don't feel bad we did this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. No, no, glad I say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, say it enough and uh, it becomes true. I'm glad, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) And also just, you know, movie lessons. Just lock your apartment door, man. That was, that's embarrassing. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. They just walked in, just took your son. And then you shot him because you couldn't control your emotions. (laughs) Thanks for listening, folks. We've got some some big stuff coming up soon, I promise. Wait, we do? Yeah. Probably. Uh, I don't know. Okay, sweet. <laughs> we right. recorded a bunch of stuff. I'm sure some of it's good. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Special thanks to uh, Your City Sleeps for the, the sweet-ass song you heard during our intermission. I may end up using it Wait. as our theme. I'm still mulling it over, you know, about what feels best. Mm-hmm. Fabulous track, though. I love it. You can find more from Your City Sleeps at yourcitysleeps.bandcamp.com. As for us, tell a friend, you know, someone who likes horror films about us. If you if you want to poke buttons on our behalf, do so. Like, subscribe, rate, comment. But nobody is pointing a Japanese-style cyberpunk finger gun at you. Live your life. Live your best life. Or as Yatsu says, the strength of the will to kill decides. <laughs> So until next time, I've been Peter. Uh, I'm still Jacob. 
And this has been Gorman Ungul. Does Japan have moles? Jesus Christ. Huh?